Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Islanders. I am your host, David Lazar. I am very excited to welcome Newsday Islanders beat writer, Andrew Gross. Welcome to the show. Hey, David. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Hope all's been well this summer for you. Thank you. It has, and same to you. And I'm very excited to catch up because today I want to take a deep dive into a man that many people view as an enigma. He is perhaps the most well-respected person in hockey, and he is also the president and general manager of the New York Islanders. You guessed it. That is Lou Lamarillo. What can you tell Islanders fans about Lamarillo and how he conducts his team? Well, um, what can I tell you about Lou? I mean, nothing is more sacred to Lou than the team, and everything is safe, is secondary. And and Lou, Lou is a family man. He's a strong family man, and uh, I, I, he he views the Islanders or any team he's running as a family, which means if you're not on the team, you're not in the family and your concerns and your needs do not come close to what the family needs are. Um, he, he also, you talk to any of Lou's former players and, and they, and, and it's not even the players, any of his old employees, be it, you know, office assistants or, you know, anyone who has worked in a Lou Lamarillo organization has gotten the conductor or the, uh, the orchestra speech which is every orchestra, you, you, you play a specific instrument and the orchestra sounds good as a result of everyone playing their instrument well. And that means if, if you play the drums well, you're not going to play the violin. And if you're a violinist, you're not going to play tuba. And uh, the way that relates to hockey, and uh, one of his former players told me this story uh, early in his career, um, he got some power play time um, and he did fairly well on the power play. And however, you know, uh, the player who usually played on the power play recovered and, and took over his role on the power play. And this young player was very upset, you know, about losing power play time. And uh, even though he was more of a, you know, a grinder physical player, he wasn't necessarily a quote unquote, you know, skilled scorer, but he thought he'd done well on the power play. <laughs> so he sat down in Lou's office and he said, you know, basically, what's the deal here? I was doing really well on the power play and uh, now I'm no longer getting that chance. And, and Lou said, let me explain it to you this way. A team is like a, a, a big orchestra and everyone has their instrument and you, you are a drummer. Now, if you want to be a piano player, I will call up any other team in the league and see if they want a piano player. But if you're going to play here for the Devils, you are a drummer. And, uh, you know, that was very clear uh, to the player. And I, I think one thing Lou makes and Barry Trotz does the, the same thing. There, there's no gray areas with Lou Lamarillo. He spells everything out. And, you know, you might look at it and, and not understand it. For instance, Lou's, you know, no facial hair policy, right, um, which, which he has and, and which he 
relaxes during the playoffs and it allows the players to have some fun in the playoffs. But during the regular season, you know, like the New York Yankees, there's no facial hair allowed. And you, you might ask, well, how does that help a team on the ice? You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, there's no way that can affect performance. And the way Lou sees it is you, you, you feel something about yourself when you look more professional and Lou feels no facial hair looks the most professional. And you, and you talk to some of the players on the Islanders now who were here beforehand and they, and they'll tell you, yeah, there's something to it. You know, if, if you see yourself as a professional and you act more like a professional and uh, Lou is Lou's strength is organization and, and communication and loyalty. Uh, like I said, Lou treats all his teams like a family. And you you hear countless stories uh, from ex-players about Lou reaching out and, and helping or, or giving him another chance. And uh, you, you sort of see that loyalty now with the Islanders with uh, so many of Lou's old Devils players coming in. He, he trusts those guys and they trust Lou and, and Zach Greasy. I, I was talking to uh, Mike Rupp. Um, who's a former devil uh, for my podcast, Island Ice. And Mike Rupp was saying that basically Zach Parisi went into this offseason and he was solely focused on the Islanders because he wanted a reunion with Lou Lamarillo. Those stories add up to create a culture where every player is unselfish. And it seems like what you have with this current Islanders team is every single player has a common goal. And I don't think you can say that about every team in hockey. No, absolutely not. And not. And, and, and to go back to uh, my conversation with Rupper and, uh, and Zach Parisi, uh, Rupper was telling me, you know, Zach was unhappy his last season with the Wild. He was a healthy scratch and, you know, he wasn't necessarily playing on the top line anymore. And it was kind of hard to him for him to accept that role. And Rupper was saying Zach Parisi is going to have absolutely zero problems accepting that role on the Islanders because Lou has spelled out exactly what his role is. And also, Zach and, and all the Islanders and Lou know what a great chance this team has to, to win the ultimate prize this season. So, yes, Zach Parisi or, or any of those players are going to sacrifice for the good of the team because Lou has has laid out a blueprint and and, and the players have seen uh, that translate to success on the ice. So Zach is much more willing to, uh, you know, whether he's, in a third line role, or if he's only playing eight to 10 minutes a night compared to what he was used to, there's going to be an understanding of why he's being asked to accept this role. And Lou Lamarillo doesn't just do that with his old friends, Andrew Ladd, who was signed by Garth Snow. Lou Lamarillo was looking to trade him this off season. And Ladd said on John Scott's podcast that Lamarillo kept him informed every single step of the way as he was looking to move him. So it seems like it's a complete organizational culture where every single person has a role and every single person stays in contact with Lamarillo so they know about their futures. Yeah, no, absolutely. Lou is, like I said, one of his true strengths is communication. And it sounds funny to say that just because, you know, when when you talk to him, 
he's very tight-lipped about giving out information and and certainly you hear the stories about him you know putting the kibosh on any kind of news leaks by by scaring the bejesus out of you know agents or scouts or, or players or anyone who would leak information lou lets it know that if that information gets out before he approves that information to get out, well, that 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 might not happen anymore. Meaning he he might not sign that player, or, you know. Um, but you know, I, I'll give you a personal story about Lou. Um, when I talk about loyalty and uh, just you know how how important family is to him, right? Um, so I've known Lou. I, I started covering the Rangers in two thousand and three, and. Uh, I'll be honest, you know, with with the Rangers, they limited Glenn Sather's media access incredibly, especially after uh, uh, Glenn stepped down as coach. They they really didn't want Glenn speaking to the media much anymore, Um, which I mean, this is off topic, but Glenn, that wasn't Glenn's call. Glenn loves talking and Glenn's a great storyteller, blah, blah, blah. Right. That was Madison Square Garden. Uh, putting the cone of silence on Glenn, not the other way around. But a- as a Rangers beat writer, I would wind up talking to Lou a lot more than, you know, the GM of my own team. And, you know, it- it's not this way with the Devils anymore, just because media has grown and, you know, it- it's, you know, but with with the Devils, Lou would either answer his own phone when you called him, and I'm talking about a landline in his office, or, you know, his assistant would would give him the message and Lou Lou's deal was he would call you back within 10 minutes. Now he might not tell you anything, but he always called back. He made a he believed in that, you know, and and, and half the time he would pick up his own phone. Hmm. So, you know, I, I can't say that, you know, I'm Lou's closest friend, but, you know, certainly we have a history now going back about 20 years. Um, so, you know, when 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 he was uh, the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, I was still uh, covering the uh, the Rangers at that point. And uh, the, the Maple Leafs first trip into Madison Square Garden, um, I, I guess it was in 2015 or or maybe it was the following season. I, I forget which. I hadn't seen Lou for a while since he had gone to Toronto. So maybe it was the start of uh, the 2016-17 season. Um and Lou is up on the bridge at Madison Square Garden, and he was talking to a couple of people. And I walked by, and you know, I didn't want to bother him, so I just sort of waved at him, and I, you know, said, "Hope you're okay." And I started walking away, and Lou kind of grabbed me, and he pulled me back. He goes, "Don't go anywhere. I want. I do want to talk to you. Let me just finish with this." You know, and so you know, Lou finished his other conversation, and. You know, Lou, the first thing Lou wanted to know was how my daughters were, how my wife was doing, you know, and I was asking about his grandkids and Lou's face will light up when you you ask him about his grandkids in a way that, you know, his face doesn't light up otherwise. Um, But I I just thought it, it was just interesting. Lou was. You know, Lou didn't just want the cursory, hey, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging you're standing there. He actually wanted to, you know, find out how I was doing. And, uh, you know, 
if you're a friend of Lou or if you're you, you've worked for Lou, um, you know, he never forgets that. And, and he will he'll do anything for you. And he's got this very gruff exterior. Um, and sometimes as a reporter, he can frustrate the heck out of you because you can't get the information that maybe you can get out of another organization. But it, as, as a human being, you know, Lou is uh, Lou is very invested. And, and the players will tell you that, too, that, that Lou cares. And I think it's easy to see that as a fan, because in his press conferences, you'll notice that he is very caring in his two second conversations he has with reporters. Some people don't do this, but Lou will call every single reporter by their name. And I when I was reporting on the Islanders for The New York Post, I was shocked going into that interview feeling very nervous and then coming out of it, Lou Amarillo is asking reporters how their biking adventures (laughs) are going. He's asking how their families are. And it just felt very personal, very just that he cared. And I think that some people think he's a very scary, intense guy. But then when you start to look into it, he's actually a very nice person and cares very much about every player and journalist that covers his team. Yes. And uh, the, the flip side of that is you, you'll also talk to his ex-employees and he scares the heck out of you if he's your boss. Um, you know, he always, you know, had this rule uh, with the devils that if you were not in the office, you had to turn your light off, you know, and uh, he because it, it was sort of him mentally taking of attendance of who was there and who was not there. And, you know. There are just a lot of instances I've heard where, you know, you, you request something from a team and, you know, it's like, oh, Lou is not going to like that. And it, it's not like the, you know, normal, oh, you know, that person's not going to like it and it's not going to bounce back at all. You know, when when someone says, oh, Lou's not going to like that, that means there are going to be trickle down repercussions, you know, Um Lou is not an easy man to work for. I'm not trying to paint a, a completely rosy picture of him, but you're right. He's a fan. Like I said, he's a family guy. He cares about the people he cares about intensely, but he is a hard, you know, he works you hard. Um, once you prove yourself to him, you're good with him. But earning Lou's trust is not the easiest thing in the world. And even when you do earn that trust, he is not above kind of, you know, cutting you down a few notches if you do something as an employee that he is not happy with. He lets you know about that instantaneously and sometimes for a while. And, and, and you know, there, 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 there are some people who just could not stomach working for Lou and, and left either the devil's organizations or, you know, or, or wherever it was. But, you know, Lou... Lou drives people hard and there's a reason he's a Hall of Famer and and he has had the success like this. No, he has a a very definite vision. Um, You're not going to be able to talk him out of that vision or once he's made up his mind, he's made up his mind. There's no really give and take with him. Um, He's very confident that what he is doing is right all the time. And that transitions into, as a journalist and your role and your responsibility, 
you are balancing giving Lamarillo the respect he has earned, but also being fair and objective. So how do you do that as a journalist? I I mean, the being fair and objective part is, you know, I I don't even think about that. That's just the way you go about doing business. Um, You know, I I think (laughs) I think if you weren't fair and objective with Lou and if you were just, you know, blowing sunshine, you know, up his muffler, um, he wouldn't respect that. You know, I, I mean, he he sees through BS as much as anyone. You know, he'll he'll dish it out, you know, in terms of it. it I, I always feel like whenever you talk to Lou, be it in a group setting or or when you get those one on ones with him, you, you, you talk to him for like 15, 20 minutes and you're so excited, you know, after having talked to Lou, because, you know, the conversation was easy and he was answering your questions. And then you go back and you reread through your notes and, and and nine times out of ten, the the reaction is son of a gun. He didn't tell me anything. He spoke to me for twenty minutes. He did not tell me anything. You know, so uh, he he dishes out the BS pretty good, but he sees through it pretty good. And and if I was here, you know, just basically, you know, like I said. Uh, un, unduly praising him over and over and over again. He would he would see through that, and he, he would probably say, "Andrew, what the heck's going on? You know, stop it." <laughs> and that relates to sources because as a journalist, it's important to have sources that you can trust. But in a Lamarillo run operation, stuff comes from him, not exactly the sources. So, how has it been different covering the Islanders as opposed to maybe some of your past stops and dealing with sources and dealing with Lamarillo? Yeah, no, I mean, because there is not as great a flow of, you know, that backdoor information as there are with, you know, other organizations. And that's simply, you know, the the agents and, and the people who deal with Lou just know not to talk about Lou's business because Lou won't do business with you after that, you know? And, and the other thing that, that, that sort of separates Lou, um, you know, in other organizations, it, it might be more of a team approach where, you know, uh, the president and the GM uh, are confabbing about stuff and maybe they bring in the coach or the assistant coach or they're talking to their scouts about it. Um, and that just leads to a much greater chance of news leaking out because more people know the news. Like, I'm not even sure. I, I'm sure there are some things or some decisions that Lou makes that he's not even telling his son, Chris Lamarillo, the assistant GM. Like, you know, Lou is a master at keeping the information in his own brain and there can't be any leaks if no one knows you know if he hasn't told anyone what he's doing there can't be any leaks you know um uh lou lou's circle of trust is is very small with that kind of information and he'll actually tell employees well i'm not going to tell you this because this protects you from, you know, potentially saying something I don't want you to say, you know, so Lou, Lou's been at this a long time. He's been in the NHL since 87. And, you know, 
and it wasn't like he was a fresh-faced rookie um, when he came into the NHL in 87. Um, he had had a long and storied career at Providence College, uh, both as, you know, a uh, hockey coach and athletic director. He was the, the man who hired Rick Patino as the basketball coach in Providence. And, uh, you know, Rick Patino still has Islander season tickets to this day now that he's coaching at Iona, you know. Wow. Um, um, and, you know, he, he helped found the Big East. Um, so Lou, Lou already had the blueprint in place. Uh, when he took over the Devils in 87, it's just that no one in the NHL knew how good he was going to be at what he does. And uh, he 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 was, I mean, he had the Devils franchise, which was just a, an awful franchise, be it in Kansas City or in Colorado or their first few years in, in Jersey. And, and he had him in the playoffs in 88. You know, so uh, Lou Lou has a blueprint. It's proven it's worked. Um, maybe the only rough patch in his career uh, was his final. I think it was his final three seasons with the Devils. They make the uh, the Stanley Cup final in, in 2012. They lose to the Kings in six games. Um, and then the 2013 shortened season in 13-14 and 14-15, they all missed the playoffs and by the time Lou left the organization, you know, sort of pushed out by new ownership, um, who basically told Lou that he was no longer going to be, you know, 100% of a dictator, that there was going to be more group decisions and, and stuff needed to be, you know, workshop together. And Lou, Lou's deal is that he runs the ship. And if you don't want him to run the ship, then he doesn't have to work for you. And that's kind of the arrangement he has uh, with the Islanders ownership, uh, Scott Malkin and John Ledecky. Um, but those last three seasons with the Devils, uh, you know, I know when Ray Shiro came in as a GM, he was talking about how the uh, the prospect cupboard was a little bit bare. Uh, there were some bad contracts on board and, you know, the, the Devils, and, and and this certainly can't still be traced back to Lou because it's, you know, it's he, he left in 2015 and now we're in, you're going into the 21-22 season. But that Devils franchise really hasn't fully bounced back yet. And a similarity that we've seen throughout Lou's stops has been the mention of a five-year plan. With the <laughs> yeah, Maple right. Leafs, he said he would not deviate from a five-year plan. In a story that you wrote on June 25th, 2018, Lou Lamarillo was quoted as saying, I've always said it's a five-year plan that changes every day. And so Lou Lamarillo that, has a plan. He that in every press conference. <laughs> yeah. So Lou Lamarillo has this five-year plan. And now the Islanders are entering year four with two trips to the NHL conference semifinals and one playoff appearance when probably no one thought they were going to make the playoffs. So how is Lou Lamarillo's five-year plan going with the Islanders? Oh, it's, it's going, it's going really good. And uh, uh, the only, you know, right now he's in a real sweet spot, you know, and this, this is a team that obviously is not only, you know, built to win the Stanley cup, the expectation within the organization is that this group can get it done. Right. Um, 
the, the, the only question with Lou is how big is this window? Because you do have some players who are on the other side of 30. You just mm. signed Casey Sezikis for six years, you know, at age 30. And, uh, you know, Matty Martin has got another three years on his deal. He's he's 30 plus. And uh, Cal Clutterbuck uh, is going to be up for a new deal after this season. Um you know, you just signed a 37-year-old Zach Parisi. Uh, you re-signed uh, uh, Kyle Palmieri, who I, I also believe is 30. Uh, Andrews Lee is 31, right? Um, and, and Brock Nelson, uh, I think he might be his number right now, 29. But he's going to uh, spend a good portion of this contract 30-plus. You know, and uh, J.G. Pajot is getting to that area as well. Um so at a, at a certain point, maybe, you know, two seasons down the road, this is a franchise that's seriously going to have to kind of probably retool and infuse a lot of youth into the lineup. Now, you know, I, I'm not saying this, these are, you know, the, you know, the over the hill gang, because you still got a Matthew Barzell entering his prime. You, you got Anthony Beauvillier entering his prime. You, you've got, you know, Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak right in their primes of, of their career and probably Scotty Mayfield, too. Um, you know, you got a, a Ilya Sorokin locked up who should be entering the prime of his NHL career you know, over the next season or two. So there, there is a good balance of youth and, and, and veterans, but, you know, when you talk about the window here, I, I would say, you know, within two years, this is a franchise that's going to have to start really considering making some hard decisions with some of their 30 plus players. And that would put the Islanders right at five years from when Lou Lamarillo joined the team. So it's very interesting how that works out. Lou Lamarillo probably has a five-year plan starting today and ending five years from now, but he also had his five-year plan from when he joined the team. And I think what's interesting to look at starting from when Lou Lamarillo joined the team was a name that many Islanders fans don't like to mention, but John Tavares leaving definitely affected that plan. So how do you think the trajectory of the Islanders would have been different had John Tavares resigned? Well, I mean, uh, you probably couldn't have afforded Anders Lee. You start out there. Um, you know, does Matthew Barzell is, you know, I, I guess, you know, it, it's easy to say Matthew Barzell would not have developed into a top line center, but the way the Maple Leafs use JT, Maybe you could have seen, you know, Barzell as a center with Tavares transitioning to a wing, you know, so I'm not sold on that. But I, I think the one guy who benefited the most from John Tavares's leaving is, is Brock Nelson, yep. who's really blossomed into exactly what you want out of a second line center. And, you know, uh, Islander fans and the Islanders had certainly seen glimpses of that. Um, before John Tavares left, but really he was not a consistent top six forward before John Tavares left. And I, I, I should actually say it's more not not when John Tavares left, it's more when Barry Trotz got here and showed the trust in Brock Nelson to develop into that role. So, you know, if JT is still here, maybe Brock is not the player that we think he is. Maybe Anders Lee is playing elsewhere by by now. 
you probably don't have the discretionary income to to bring in a Gigi Pajot like you did. You know, I mean, so, you know, and, 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 and you know, that's not to say that the Islanders were happy to see John Tavares walk out the door. Um, that is not the case at all. Uh, Barry Trotz, anytime it was, it has been brought up or it was brought up as to whether the Islanders are a better team without John Tavares, Barry Trotz looks at you and will say these words, are you nuts? You know, John Tavares is an elite talent in this league and any team, certainly the Islanders would have preferred for him to remain on the roster. But, you know, I, I think there's there's a little more democracy within the organization without John Tavares here. And, and what what I mean by that, and this is this is nothing to do with John Tavares. This is not his personality. He is. But there was a lot of deferring to John Tavares when he was the captain, you know, by ownership or, or, or by management, um, there was a lot of deferring to, well, what does John Tavares think? And it's not set up that way now. And that's not to say that Anders Lee's voice is not an important one, but there's not the, you know, well, this is Anders Lee's team, Right. Where it was, whereas it was clearly John Tavares's team. And and again, that's not something John Tavares saw at all. I don't want people to think I'm saying that John Tavares was a diva who demanded that kind of that. That was something that developed because of people around JT, not because of what JT was 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 looking for or what he wanted whatsoever. But I think. Be, because you know Anders Lee's personality is is so much more open and, and bubbly. That, you know John Tavares is a little bit reserved. Um, I just think, and, and plus the fact that you know there are a lot of other leaders in that room beyond uh, Anders Lee. You, you look at that whole fourth line. Uh, you look at Josh Bailey. Um, <laughs> you know you, you just you know. Not that Matthew Barzell at some point is going to have to develop into more of a leadership role. Um, they're just a JG Pajot is a huge leader on, on that team, right? So yes, Anders Lee is the captain, but a, a lot, a lot more people have a stake in the leadership role right now. And I don't know if that's something that naturally develops if if JT stays here. So projecting now into the future with three successful years behind them, the Islanders are now going to make their push for the Stanley Cup. They did lose Jordan Eberle. They did lose Nick Letty. However, they added Zach Parise. And now they are going to look to finally get over the hump. Do you think they are one of the teams that can do it this year? Do you think they are a Stanley Cup favorite in the NHL? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no reason they shouldn't be. They've got the goaltending. Um, yeah, they've got the defense. Um, you know, re-signing Palmieri, even though you lose Jordan Everly. The I, I guess you go into training camp and you can legitimately say the only question going into training camp is how do they replace Nick Letty? Who's going to fill that spot? You know, is it going to be uh, what was it Eric Gustafson who they uh, they're bringing in on a 
PTO? Is is Thomas Hickey going to reclaim a spot in the top six? Is Lou going to make another deal? You know, would, would Dano Chara consider playing here on a cheap one-year, you know, $1.1 million contract or something like that? Um, that's That's really the one big question going into training camp. And it's the, the right now it's the one big hole on, on there, you know, cause you got to figure, you know, Palm and Parisi, they're, they're both playing and Oliver Wallstrom's going to have a regular slot. Um, really, if you look at the forwards, the question is not really who's going to be the top 12. It's going to be, who are the two extras, you know, and, and that going into like I said, you got your, your your two goalies. There's no question about that. Um, you know, and it's funny because I, I asked, again, Rupper, uh, Mike Rupp on, on my podcast, Island Ice, about this. And uh, I said, when you look at the Islanders going into this training camp, are they better or are they worse or are they the same as the team that went into last year? Um and I said, you know, you subtract Jordan Everly. That's a top line right wing. You subtract Nick Letty. And, you know, you can talk all about Nick Letty's ups and downs, but, you know, he was an assist machine, right? And he was a puck mover. Um, and you don't have a natural left shooting defenseman to just slot in there. Um, and, and Mike Rupp said unequivocally, he thinks they're a better team today than they were at the start of last season. And, a lot of that has to do with Anders Lee coming back healthy, but also, you know, he said uh, the first thing he mentioned is another year of development for Matthew Barzell. And, uh, you know, I, I, I still don't think we've seen the ceiling on Matthew Barzell. And, and I actually don't even think we've come close to the ceiling uh, on Matthew Barzell. And, and that's got to be a really exciting thing. And yeah, no, I, I think, you know, you, you look around the league, uh, you, what do you say? The, the Colorado Avalanche are probably still being considered one of the uh, one of the favorites uh, based of last off last season. Um, you got the Islanders. I mean, the Lightning probably aren't going anywhere, um, you know, but I, I have a hard time, you know, coming up with teams that are head and shoulders better than the Islanders. So, you know, you know. Uh, Back-to-back trips to the Final Four, um, a Game 6 loss to Tampa two seasons ago, a Game 7 one nothing loss in Tampa last season. I, how, how could you not consider this team one of the, you know, the, the, the three or four favorites to win a Stanley Cup this season? And to the Islanders fans listening here on Believe in Islanders, that's a beautiful thing to hear because when you joined the team in March 2018 when you started covering the team for Newsday that was a different team that was not <laughs> a Stanley Cup team so could you have ever imagined that the Islanders would go from what they were when you started covering them to what they are now no cuz i mean you didn't you know did you did did, did anyone see the uh, the Maple Leafs moving on that quickly from Lou Lamarillo mm-hmm. um you know i know they wanted Kyle Dubas to to have a bigger role or to not lose him. But honestly, I, I did not predict they, that Brendan Shanahan, and you talk about loyalty and relationships, you know, Shani and Lou go back forever, you know, to Shani being a teenager. You know, I did not see Shani pushing Lou out. 
Um, so I couldn't have seen foreseen uh, Lou coming to the Islanders. Now, you know, all that season, we had heard that this was going to be Barry Trotz's last season with the Capitals, you know, even if they won a cup that they just wanted to give Todd Reardon a chance and ownership was set on that, you know, um, which I thought was crazy. But at that time, you, you, you got to figure Barry Trotz is going to have a better opportunity than coming to the Islanders. Now, you, you know, you say, can you imagine how different it was? If you look back to March 2018, it's really remarkable how many of the same players are on the roster compared to right now. It's not like Lou came come came here and just completely reconstructed it. It was a matter of knowing that there was talent here and just being able to direct it the correct way. Uh, you know, and I, I've told this story before and I mentioned it the, the day. So I had been covering the Devils um, who were coached by John Hines, who I happen to think is a very organized, very competent, uh, very good NHL coach. And one thing that Heinze does really well is he runs focused, up-tempo, good practices that that accomplish things, right? <laughs> and I'd been watching Heinze run practices for two seasons. So the first day I came over to the Islanders and, I, you know, it was a practice day. So I'm over at Northwell Health and I'm standing there and I'm watching the Islanders practice. And after about 10 minutes, I forget who I turned to, but I, I turned to, it might've been Brian Compton from NHL.com, but I, I, I turned to someone and I said, this might be the worst NHL practice I've ever seen since, you know, uh, since maybe Glenn Sather was running some kooky practices with the Rangers when he came back to coach, but it, it was unorganized. It was unfocused. There was no learning being done. Mistakes weren't being corrected. Practices, the practice wasn't being stopped when there was a, when there was a mistake. And, you know, obviously, you know, that's going to sound like a huge dig at, at Dougie Waite. And, you know, his coaching staff. And, and in a way it is. Um, I don't necessarily blame Doug Waite. Uh, I don't think he was given a good support system uh, to learn how to be an NHL coach. I, I think there was a good NHL coach somewhere within Doug Waite. He certainly knew the game. Um, I just don't think he was given the support and, and the learning apparatus to, to, to become that good NHL coach. Um, you know, his so, but I, I, I'll tell you, it, it was a sloppy, unorganized practice. And I looked at it and I said, no wonder this team's not, not making the playoffs. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're just putzing around out there. Um, and and that, that was borne out because you took the same players and you put Barry Trotz in charge, and they went from giving up 293 goals to, to giving up 100 less goals overnight. I mean, that, that that's just coaching. That's putting a system in. And, and, you know, the players talked about it that first season under Barry Trotz, 18-19, um, just how, I, I, I believe the word, you know, hunger came up. Uh, how how hungry the players were, and the, and a lot of players also said how thirsty they were to be coached and and to be coached up correctly, um, because 
you know, a player knows when he's good and a player knows when he's faking it. And those players didn't think they were faking it. They looked around the room and they were like, we have a lot of talent in this room. Why are we not winning? You know, and 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 when Barry and Lou came in, it, it, you know, it, the, the bells went off in their head, you know, kind of like, oh, well, if we do this, we're going to win. You know, this Barry laid out very simply, you know, th- this is the system that's going to help us win. And, and he had success quickly with the team. And, you know, and I remember, you know, before Barry's first season with the Islanders started, um, I forget whether it was a one-on-one interview or in a group, or maybe he said it multiple times, but I remember asking him about, you know, well, what do you do with this defense? You know, you, you know, you're coming from a, a Stanley cup winner into a team that gave up 293 goals. How are you, how are you going to adjust to that? How, you know, what's your plan to fix this? And, and Barry just looked at me and he was like, Oh, the defense, that's, that's easy to fix. That's not going to be a problem. And I looked at him, I was like, there's not a chance that's correct because you have the same defenseman that just, you know, and, 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 and the same, you know, uh, well, they brought in Robin Leonard, right? So they did switch up the goalies, but, you know, essentially, you know, Thomas Grice was back and, and Greiser had been a mess that last season under Dougie Wade, you know, um, I was like, I I don't see this. You got, you know, two goalies with question marks and the same defense that just gave up all those goals. And, and Barry, Barry couldn't have been less concerned about it. And he couldn't have been more confident that the Islanders were going to be a good defensive team. And and it just, it shows you what a good coach Barry is and, and what good coaches, you know, Mitch Korn is and Pierre Greco, the, uh, uh, the, the goalie coach and the director of goaltending and Lane Lambert and John Gruden and, you know, just the whole staff that Barry brought in. Um, they knew they were going to get it done because they had done it before, you know, so yeah, going back to March 2018, I could not have projected this. But if you had told me in March 2018, within two months, Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz were going to be running the organization, I, I would have said, well, now you have something. And have something indeed they did. That was a very, very fun conversation where we went full circle about Lou Lamarillo, his impact he made, and the people that he brought in. Andrew, thank you so, so much for joining us today on Believe in Islanders. I really appreciate your time. David, uh, my pleasure. Great talking to you. It was great seeing you around for the playoffs and uh, hopefully catch up to you at the rink soon. Thank you. I definitely will. For those of you who are interested, you can check out Andrew's work at Newsday. He also hosts a Newsday podcast about the New York Islanders called Island Ice, and you can follow him on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. Andrew, once again, thank you so much for your time, and we will be speaking again soon. All right. All the best, David. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.